Johnny always wore black, and he uh, he wore black because he identified with the the poor and the uh, and the and the, and the downtrodden. can run on for a long time, run on for a long time, run on for a long time. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Go tell that long-tongued liar, go and tell that midnight rider, tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter, tell him that God's gonna cut him down. Tell them that God's gonna cut them down Well, my goodness gracious, let me tell you the news My head's been wet with the midnight dew I've been down on bended knee Talking to the man from Galilee He spoke to me with a voice so sweet I thought I heard the shuffle of angels sweet He called my name and my heart stood still when he said, John, go do my will, go tell that long-tongued liar, go and tell that midnight rider, tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter, tell him that God's gonna cut him down, tell him that God's gonna cut him down. You can run on for a long time, run on for a long time, run on for a long time. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Well, you may throw your rock, hide your hand, working in the dark against your fellow man. But as sure as God made black and white, what's done in the dark will be brought to the light. You can run on for a long time, run on for a long time, run on for a long time. Gotta cut you down Sooner or later Gotta cut you down Go tell that long-tongued liar Go and tell that midnight rider Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter Tell him that God's gonna cut you down Tell him that God's gonna cut you down Tell him that God's gonna cut you down That, uh, that last line of that that I want to talk to you about, you can run on for a long time. You can run on for a long time. You can run on for a long time. Sooner or later, God's going to cut you down. Tell him that God's going to cut you down. I want to share a couple of emails that I got recently. Here's one. I've always been a little confused by the somewhat contradiction between God's apparent love and care for humans and some of the passages in the Bible. It always says that we're precious to him and that we are individually loved and watched over and whatnot, but I have read countless examples of times when God cursed, dishonored, despised certain people for disobeying him. One of many examples she puts is Psalm 107. Does his compassion only extend to those who are devoted and pure? Why does it seem like his love is actually conditional? You ever find yourself in that place? 
Here's another. The Old Testament is starting to fascinate me. I lack any kind of deep knowledge, though. Why does God tell his people in the Old Testament to smash their enemies' babies on the rocks? And uh, here's what we're getting at. In the Bible, and particularly in the Psalms, there's, there's a whole collection, a whole slew of Psalms that, that witness the, the anguish and anger of God's people crying out to God for him to curse and destroy their enemies, or maybe put another way, to come and cut them down. The particular psalm that that one person quoted comes from 137, and it says this at the end, daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. He who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. I want you to kind of envision this morning, and if in our opening set, Wayne got up here and with one of these nice kind of acoustic tunes led you in singing this today, because that's what you have in the Psalms, and the Psalms are not theological treatises as much as they are the songs and the prayers of God's people. They would worship to this, singing it, praying it, and calling it out to God. And it leaves you in this place, doesn't it? Very uncomfortable and very offset going, what do you do with this kind of thing? What do you do with a worship lyric like this? What do you do with an entire sentiment of songs and prayers that revolve around calling for God to come and cut them down? Or, as the one friend of mine who emailed me this put it, why does God tell his people to do this? These psalms, these songs, and specifically this one, 137, is the weird song, Strange Prayer, that we're going to be looking at today. So back to the question, why does God tell his people to do this? Follow with me and let me see if I can help you navigate through the essence of what these are about. First, God doesn't. God doesn't tell them to go and seize their enemies' infants and dash them against the rocks. This is what God's people are asking God to do. And there is an important distinction there between something God commands and, on the other hand, something people long for. At the same time, it's still weird. It's still in there. The people who wrote a lyric like this still chose to include it in this collection. And and so the greater question is, why? And I'd like you to turn with me to Psalm 137. And let's look at the whole thing. And let's see if by looking at this, this weird song, strange prayer that finds its way into these pages, if we can kind of root out what's going on and maybe what that has to tell us today. Now, Psalm 137 begins by saying this. By the rivers of Babylon, 
we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. So immediately a question that should be coming to your mind is who? Who is the one by the rivers of Babylon sitting and weeping and remembering Zion? And the who is Israel? But not just in some general term, not just in some kind of cosmic blanket kind of way. No, Israel in a very specific time and in a very specific place. There's a date that I want you to remember today. It is 587 B.C. And it is the date in Israel's history when everything changed. For a thousand years leading up to this point, God had taken his people out of Egypt to a promised land, promising them a kingdom, promising them prosperity, promising them freedom and goodness and shalom in his presence. And for a time, it looked like it just might happen. But read through the pages of the Old Testament. And for decade after decade and century after century, leading up to 587 B.C., you see Israel victimized, brutalized, tormented, raided, terrorized, until this thing that was a once great kingdom became whittled away to one final city. One final city sitting in the midst of enemies that wanted nothing more than their heads on pikes. And they cried out. And they prayed. And they sought God. And the enemy came anyway. And in 587 B.C., the Babylonians came in. They burned the city to the ground. They pulled down its walls. They destroyed the temple. They made off with everything. They slaughtered man, woman, child, animal. Those who weren't destroyed were dragged out into slavery, into Babylon, displaced from their homeland forever. These are the people singing Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and we wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we we hung our harps, our instruments. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded of us songs of joy. They said, sing us one of those songs of Zion. Dance, monkey, dance. Do you understand what's going on? a people brutalized and tormented and enslaved, dragged a thousand miles away to a foreign land, tormented by their captors. Entertain us. Bring us joy. Sing us these psalms of hope. These songs of hope you used to sing, thinking it would ward us off. Yeah, sing it. Let's have a good laugh today. Are you with me? Verse 4. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I don't remember you, if I don't consider Jerusalem my highest joy, I would rather have my hand shrivel off 
than play a song for you. I would rather my tongue cease to work than sing one song of joy for you, Babylonians, in torment and exile. I would rather die than acclimate. You with me? He goes on. Remember, O Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. And it's a good thing that God does because we probably read it and go, remember what, right? What did the Edomites do? Early in Israel's history, as they were being brought out of Egypt and finding themselves in that wilderness place between Egypt and the, prop- and the promised land, other people were there who didn't want them there and who sought to take advantage of them rob them and crush them when they were down. Welcome to the Edomites. And Israel cried out and God delivered. And here they find themselves in the same place again. God, remember, remember how you rescued us back. Then remember what you did to the Edomites. O Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is he who repays you for what you have done to us. He who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Put another way, you know what they're doing at the end? They're saying this, Babylon, you want a song? You want a song of joy? I'll give you a song of joy. <laughs> oh, Babylon, doomed to destruction, may the Lord of hosts come and raid you as you've raided us. May he take your very infants and dash them against the rocks. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You sing and dance this time. What is Psalm 137? It's a song of anger. It's a song of defiance. It's a song that refuses to acclimate to bend over, to just give in when life comes crushing upon you. It's a song that is an angry rant. And can I ask you, have you ever had a good angry rant? You know what it's like to get that opportunity to just vent someone wrongs you. Something goes on. You know, and let's be straight off the bat. I'm not talking to you hotheads right now that someone cuts you off in traffic and you think this is the world's greatest injustice. I'm talking about the stuff that matters. Someone who takes advantage of you. Someone who exploits you. Or worse, someone who takes advantage or exploits someone you love. Someone who's innocent. Someone who's defenseless. Someone who doesn't have the fight in their soul that you do. Someone comes and they treat you wrongly. They treat you evilly. Let's call it what it is, evil. You stand in the face of something that you go, this is just wrong, and it makes you mad. You have those moments? You know what I mean? But you know the Christian thing is this. 
to turn the other cheek, right to love my enemies and pray for those who persecute me when all the time inside it's going tick, 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 tick. And then you get that friend, you know, that trusted friend, that confidant, that soulmate, and they say something and it just kind of opens it up And by opening it up just a little bit, it all comes spewing out. And the invective and the hate and the anger, the word vomit just starts coming as you throw up all this anger that has been culminating in your soul. And you get to the end of it, and it's just, Have you been there? Have you been there? Are you there? today and your friend here she sits there and he just listens and he lets you speak and he lets you vent and he lets you rant and he lets you rail and there is no judgment and he lets you do your thing because he sits there and realizes this is for you Not for me. And God sits there. And he lets you vent. And he lets you rant. And he lets you rail. And there is no judgment. He doesn't speak. He just lets you get it out of your soul. Because he realizes this is more for you. Than it is for me. See, guys, Psalm 137 is this. B.C. therapy. It is a song and prayer that taps the deep and real emotions that actually live inside and gives them a way and a channel to get them out no matter how angry, no matter how fierce, no matter how ugly they might happen to be. And God says, give it to me. Give it to me. Give all of it to me. Let it out. This is what I like about the Psalms and the Bible for that matter. Is that it doesn't seek to whitewash human emotion but instead portrays the human condition in in, in its most real, barest, vilest sense. It gets down to it. It's real. It's raw. It's visceral. And makes no excuses about it. It puts it out there like it is. And invites us who feel too good to admit such things to step into those realities of who we are and what we feel as well. Giving us something to do with it. Here's what else. It reminds us that justice actually matters. That when injustice incurs in the world, people are destroyed by it. It matters 
Because people are hurt and destroyed in its wake. And it reminds us that God wants justice. And to call out for justice is not just acceptable, it's even good. It reminds me of this, this passage in Revelation of all places. It's this amazing like, picture, this vision that John is having. And just look at how he envisions heaven. He said, I saw under the altar in heaven the souls of those who had been slain. Those who had been cut down, butchered, slaughtered because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. So what does he see? He sees heaven, and he sees people in heaven, but he sees people in heaven who aren't supposed to be there yet. And they called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our Blood. Have you ever cried that prayer? How long, O Lord? How long until you set this right? How long until you fix this? How long until you avenge that what happened to her or to him or to me? Have you ever had that welling in your heart? How long, O Lord? It sounds like 137 that invited the people of God to express just those very things. How long, Lord? And we don't have to be afraid to ask it. And we don't have to be afraid to want it. We don't have to make excuses or say it sheepishly, or hide behind it. That we can come to you, God, with every raw emotion in our heart and admit it all, give it all. Everything. Psalm 137. And the rest just like it. That's what they're seeking to do. That's what they're, they're supposed to be. And I've got to tell you, I've been wrestling with this. Like, I get it. But when it comes to doing it, it feels an entirely different matter. I get it. But when it comes to actually praying it, asking for it, my gosh, let alone singing it together, on a Sunday morning. What do you do with that? I've been wrestling with how to make this something that's not just theoretical, but an actual part of me. And I gotta tell you, I, I don't have it figured out. I don't, it's weird, but I'm trying. I'm trying because I think it's something God says is an important part of who you are and therefore an important part of what it means to be in a relationship with me. But you know, a couple things have struck me as I've been wrestling through this. Maybe they can be of help to you. Maybe I'm even wrong. 
but the more and more I kind of wrestle with it and kind of practice it on my own, the more and more I'm sensing maybe I'm on the right track, maybe this is the way God wants it to be. And I think it starts with this. When you find yourself in that place, I think it starts with this. Coming to God with raw, brutal honesty. That when you come to God and you come with these emotions in your heart, not feeling like you have to sanitize them or excuse them or couch them in flowery language so God will somehow be okay with what you have to say. No, I think it's something different. I think it's coming to God on your knees or shouting in your room in raw, brutal honesty, God, I hate him. I hate him. And I wish he was dead. I hate him. Give him boils, right? I hate him. Break his back. I hate him. And every other kind of invective you can come up with. There's a psalm I've been looking at. It's in the same stream. It's Psalm 69. Could you pray this about someone? Psalm 69. He says, charge them with crime upon crime. Do not let them share in your salvation. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be, li- and, and, and not be listed with the righteous. May they burn in hell, God. Send them to hell. Could you pray something like that? And if your answer is no, can I ask you today, why not? Why not? If you've actually felt it. The questions that these psalms ask me is not should I pray a prayer like this, but why don't I pray a prayer like this? Is it because I'm afraid that God might know what I'm actually feeling? Do you hear that out loud? If it's in there and he knows it, am I afraid that I can't come to this God with that to say? It begs the question, not should I pray, but do I pray? Do I trust God enough with my anger and my hate? And do I trust God enough to take that anger and hate out of my control and my hands and give it into his? What's better? To not pray a prayer like that, but keep the anger and hate, injustice and revenge to my own doing? Or to pray a prayer like that and give the thirst for justice and revenge to God instead. This is what Psalm 137 invites us to do. To take it all, every ugly black thing that we want, and say, God, I give it to you. I trust you with it, that you are just. And I know it's better in your hands than in mine. 
and what I found in my life with the people that I truly hate. And yes, I'm human. There are people in my life that I hate. I find that by giving this to God, taking it out of my hands and putting it into his, it allows me to start moving past it. It allows me to let go of it. It allows me to release. It allows me to begin the process of learning to forgive. I have found that every time I have tried to circumvent this first step with someone who has wronged me that I know I'm called to forgive, I just can't get there. And it haunts me. And it hangs around my neck and won't let me go because I won't let go of it. But in those times when I can come to God, invent it out of my soul, and admit what I'm feeling, and by verbalizing it to Him, come face to face with who I am, that God can start to get in there. That that space has been made for him to start working on my heart and doing his work instead. And it's at that place where I've learned I can start the process of figuring out what it means to forgive. There was a seminary prof 20 years ago who made one of the most indelible impacts on my life. And I wouldn't say that about many seminary professors. Maybe any except one or two. But he was different. God lived and shined in him in ways that were real, ways that were alive, ways that were raw and visceral in ways I had never seen until then. And he was filled with story after story in his 70s, but still sharp. Story after story of his own life and the life of people he spent a lifetime ministering to, seeking God in the most real moments of this world, living through World War II, living through Korea, living through Vietnam, experiencing on this side of the Atlantic and the European side as well, and seeing the horrors and the people trying to deal with it in the aftermath. And I remember he would pray at times and talk how he would pray, God, God, that you would damn them to hell. But oh Lord, that they would repent first because you can't get to step two. Unless you go through the gate that Psalm 137 invites us to. These Psalms are rooted in the dual idea that God is loving and God is just. That God is loving and you can tell him 
anything. You can tell him anything and need not be afraid. You can come to him with anything and need not be afraid. You could admit to yourself and to him anything and need not be afraid because he won't reject you, despise you, or cast you off for it. And that God is just. And that God values what is right as well. That God is angered by injustice as well. And the emotions of your heart that are thirsting for that can safely be left to him. Not as a dismissal. Not as a, it doesn't matter, it'll go away but as something that you can trust will be dealt with by him. That God is loving and God is just. And if we realize that, you can come to him. The Israelites who penned this song were deep in Babylonia without any sign of relief or hope. What is your Babylon today? Where are you right now in exile yearning for that same relief? Injustice. Now, the band's going to come forward. And they're going to lead us in a song that's based on another psalm, but it corresponds to this in a really cool kind of way. Let me read a couple lines to you. Are you kidding me? I left it on the copier. Something like this. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord. It goes on a little bit. And the chorus comes in, better is one day in your courts, better is one day in your house, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Now the people who wrote this song are just going, man, it's like his house is awesome, it's got a game room and I really enjoy going there. No, it's a song of people who have been removed from it. Remembering, wishing, waiting, longing. I've been torn away and I would do anything to be back there. If that resonates with you today, then hopefully this next song becomes a prayer for you. Either way, I'd like to invite you to rise. Let's come to the God in prayer and worship who allows us to bring him anything even in the midst of exile.